0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Coming to you a day later than normal, we've had some schedule adjustments, obviously, with the SEC championship game this weekend. We actually spoke to Dan Mullen on Sunday, Uh, a couple other different interview setups this week. So we shifted the schedule around a little bit, but Blake, obviously, the elephant in the room right now. Florida managed to somehow lose to LSU. Uh, I think that's something that neither of us really thought was a possibility going into Saturday. But all of a sudden, you turn around. Now Florida's a two-loss team going into Atlanta you're trying to figure out a way to pick up the pieces rather than potentially competing for a playoff spot. Um, Like it just seemed like everything that could go wrong in that game did. What's your, uh, I mean, what's your take on what this loss means for the program? Is it, is it bigger than just one game? Um, And kind of where does Florida go from here?
2: Uh, You know, I think at this point with Alabama coming up, you just, I mean, you have no, nothing else to do, but look forward, you know, you have to, uh, you have to look ahead to Alabama. You have to get past the loss as bad as it was. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's hard to put a lot of a lot of weight in one loss. But I think whenever you look at just I, – I feel like all season we've been waiting for Florida to have that complete game, you know, where they play a complete game on offense, they play a complete game on defense, you know, first half, second half, all those things. You thought that that was going to be what it was going to be against LSU. They're a depleted team, starting a freshman quarterback in his first ever start, you know, on the road. Um it, it, it's, it stings, man. You know, I, I think when you look at how the, the game really played out, you look at Kyle Trask out there with three turnovers, it just it was a sloppy game all around for the Gators, and, you know, those turnovers really came back to bite him in the butt at the end.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we had talked about some of Florida's deficiencies on this podcast several times for really a couple of weeks now, and the question has been, you know, is Florida going to squander a once-a-decade kind of QB in Kyle Trask? And we were all kind of looking at it, looking at, you know, Atlanta and Alabama, you know, whether or not they'd be able to fix it in time to get past Alabama and kind of take the next step as a program. Obviously, Blake, this is, to me, it's a huge setback because, you know, we had seen this incremental progress from Florida under Dan Mullen. You know, you go from four wins to 10 wins, then you go from 10 wins to 11 wins. This year, I think the big step was obviously getting over the Georgia hump. You beat Georgia. Now all of a sudden you look at it after the the last week of games, all of a sudden it's not quite clear that Florida is, is far and away, pulling away from Georgia at this point. Like you maybe thought they could have after they won that game in Jacksonville. All of a sudden now Georgia looks like they've got a quarterback maybe starting to find some answers. Meanwhile, Florida has had these issues that all the fans could see. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I probably deserve uh, some heavy criticism because I was kind of looking at it and I was like, well, you know they're still winning games they're still winning games and i i probably defended this staff and particularly the defense a little bit more than i should have but you look at it in florida didn't get it cleaned up now all of a sudden again like you said you lose to a team with a freshman quarterback coming into the swamp a team that had less than 50 scholarship players available by halftime um just just really no no excuse for that and i know that you know everything kind of had to go wrong for them to lose this game and you know if if any one thing gets cleaned up one less turnover one less Shoe toss, you know, and we'll, we'll get to that because I want to talk about that. Um, it, it just seemed like they they literally had to have everything go wrong, and it did. And I think that speaks to the fact that Florida's just not quite there yet. And I think that's disappointing for a lot of fans because I think when you have a quarterback as good as Kyle Trask, you have an offense that is as good as it is to not be able to kind of take that next step and, and start to put it together, particularly against what really was a weak second half of the schedule. Now all of a sudden you do go into Atlanta feeling like this could be 2015 and 2016 all over again. So that's frustrating. I mean that is really frustrating and then, you know, I think I don't read too much into any head coach's comments after things, but I think there has been some frustration as well with how Dan Mullen has publicly addressed some of these issues. You know, he continues to back Todd Grantham and support him even though we've seen some significant defensive issues in terms of getting lined up in time. In terms of blowing coverages. You know, obviously, it happened against LSU again. And yet, you know, when I asked Dan Olin specifically about Todd Grantham and when he would change that evaluation, his answer was, if I feel like what we're doing is unsound. And he has said repeatedly this year that he believes what they're doing schematically on defense is sound. To me, okay, that's fine. If you want to make that argument, now it's on your ability to recruit players. Because if you believe in what you're doing schematically, then obviously the failure is – amount of talent that you have whether or not you know you've put it together in a class balancing kind of way or not but Blake what is your what is your take on Dan Mullen's support for Todd Grantham at this point
2: you know I think it's expected I think that that's just I you know when you're in the middle of the season and you've still got an SEC championship to play for I just think that um you know it, to me it's expected you know you don't really want to drag your coaches through the mud you really don't want to put the blame on those guys but in the same sense it does seem like Mullen does put some things on the players so I, I, I don't know man I, I guess I don't really quite know how I feel about it because I feel like you should be very you know upfront with things you know I, I think it's pretty obvious that things aren't really working on defense for Florida especially this year guys are still out of place the secondary still seems kind of confused it just seems like of the guys are still thinking too much and they're not quite reacting I don't know if it just seems like there's a lot of things going on. You know, I'm not surprised that Mullen goes up there and he takes a bat for his coach. You know, he seems like a guy that's very loyal to, um, you know, his coaches. You know, I think you look at just some of the guys that have been with him throughout, uh, you know, a big long part of his uh, coaching career. So, you know, I, I think that it 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 makes fans frustrated because they see the same mistakes week in and week out, and it doesn't seem like there's really any fix there. Um, you know, I think they just want just, just Mullen to be up front. You know, I think that they want him to – uh you know, kind of call it as it is. You see some of these coaches, um, you know, just around the country that, you know, if something's wrong, they kind of call it as it is. And um, I saw the video of, uh, you know, Mullen back in the 2018 season where, you know, he says he wants to kick your ass in thumb wrestling. And then you kind of look at, that's not the same Mullen that we see this year. And I understand that, you know, back then you want to set the foundation of your program. You really want to, you know, make that a point. It just seems like it's it's a different year and it's kind of a different Mullen, I guess.
1: It is. And I think, for me, the, the part that I take a little bit of issue with is I think you don't hear the same tone when he's talking about the offense and the defense. I mean, literally, sometimes you can ask Dan Mullen about the defense and, and kind of press him for accountability on how they're playing on that side of the ball. And he'll actually flip it around and say, oh, yeah, well, we could have been more efficient offensively. It's like, to me, I worry that he's holding the defense to a little bit of a different standard than the offense and and by that i mean a little bit lower of a standard than the offense and if that doesn't have some trickle down effect because you know kyle trask can throw for 400 something yards and dan mullen's going to talk about the missed reads that he had you're not hearing that about the defense you're not hearing you know okay you know we we held them 10 points but you know we really weren't quite fit you know we weren't quite sound on our run fits that kind of thing instead you're hearing you know florida struggling and all of a sudden you're hearing oh well, we've played pretty good at times this year we just need to clean up a few things in terms of consistency Like, okay, but this has been an issue the entire season. So at what point do you start to hold them more accountable? At least, you know, and I get it. It's, it's, it's harder, I think, for an offensive head coach to hold the defense publicly accountable because you don't want to create rifts on your team. You don't want to point fingers. I understand all that. And to your point, I think you're right. It's, it's, very difficult to throw a coach under the bus. This is the
2: same guy, too, that, you know, the Kentucky game, they're over there arguing on the sidelines, and post-game Mullen's like, oh, he put his Christmas lights up. Like, I mean, it's just – that's what you're going to get for Mullen, you know? Right,
1: right. So, and, so again, I mean, I guess proof is kind of in the pudding, right? We'll see what happens this offseason in terms of any changes they might make in terms of, you know, whether they can fix some of these issues. I mean, some of it is personnel, but I got news for you. The personnel issues aren't going to just completely disappear. I mean, we've talked about it in recruiting. There are still some gaps – you're going to be working with a really, really young defensive line next year, most likely. So you're going to have to find a way. And I think that's, that's where a lot of the frustration kicks in from fans is they've seen some of these issues, not just for the last couple of weeks, but really even dating back to last year. You know, you talk about the Georgia game, the third down issues. They've been kind of consistent. And I know that Florida obviously creates a lot of havoc defensively. They obviously have the ability to play at a very high level. But you're just – you haven't seen it very consistently and you haven't seen it very consistently against really good teams. And I think, you know, we'll see what happens Saturday, Blake, and, and we're going to talk more about Alabama later in the week on the second episode, uh, the second weekly episode of the podcast. But, I mean, this has the chance to go south in a hurry, if you ask me. I mean, we're talking about this could be 2015 or 2016. If you go back to that, man, you went into the offseason feeling pretty bleak about – how things were trending right and I think you have the same potential given the the huge disappointment of dropping that LSU game before Alabama and then now all of a sudden you've got to go into this Alabama game and try to find a way not not necessarily even to win but just try to be competitive
2: definitely and I think that you make a good point it does kind of remind me of some of the you know last coaching 10 years where you know obviously Mullen has done a lot different things and he's, he's really kind of changed a lot of things there but whenever you look at just how and, and I know the signing day schedule is obviously different this year with just you know signing day being this Wednesday and the SEC championship game being uh, you know this coming Saturday but it was always such a uh, lull near the end of the season to where Florida you know drops a couple games near the end of the season going into signing day and it's just kind of a you know a stagnant thing so obviously it's a different year you have signing day a little bit earlier than that coming off that LSU loss I I mean Florida's class has been pretty much full for the most part so it's maybe not the different thing but you have some of these guys that aren't going to sign until February so you always want to have as much momentum as you can so I'm interested to see if if there is any 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 kind of momentum change you know I I don't know again you know with Florida having limited spots I think they're going to hit the portal pretty hard just because of the fact of you know, you need some some experience. You know, maybe that's offensive line, maybe that's defensive line. I think defensive line. I think we both agree is somewhere where Florida really needs to look into the portal. But I mean, in any sense, you just don't want any. You just don't want to be really stagnant. You know, heading into those signing days, and you know, I, I guess that's just it. it kind of does remind me of you know this loss really was kind of a sting that you know reminds me of some of the last you know losses to kind of finish out the season.
1: Yeah, I mean the the thing to me that stands out is in recruiting, perception often becomes reality. It you does. Know? I mean. It's very much a case of recruits are very impressionable. It is very easy to craft narratives around the latest thing or the thing that sticks in most people's minds. And so when you have a loss to LSU like this, and not just a loss to LSU, but the way it happened. I mean, Marco Wilson tossing a shoe when you have a chance to really go out there and put together a game-winning drive after your defense has just gotten a stop. You're on national TV. I mean, literally the guy that threw the the shoe at – President George Bush, you know, whatever it was, 12, <laughs> years ago, is commenting on it. I mean, that says a lot about what this did to damage the – I mean, if
2: reception. you go on Twitter and you hashtag Marco Wilson Challenge, there's videos of people throwing shoes. Like, I mean, it's it's definitely picking up steam. And, I mean, from a lot of different angles, I mean, it just seems like it's kind of a punchline. I mean, it, it, it stings, you know?
1: It is. And I think it's going to be challenging to see how Florida regroups because – like I said, I, I, this has the potential to snowball pretty quickly, and it doesn't take much in the SEC at this <laughs> high of a level when you're trying to compete for championships for the, the narrative to really shift on you and become a huge uphill climb. And that's why I thought it was so important that Florida was able to beat Georgia this year. You know, If you had gone a third straight or really a fourth straight year, but the third straight year for Dan Mullen, not being able to get over that hump, the narrative for Kirby Smart becomes extremely easy. Like, yeah, you can go to Florida with whatever, but, like, you're not going to get past me. You're not going to get to Atlanta. Okay, so Florida went ahead and flipped that narrative. Now what does the narrative become? What what does the overriding theme emerge from this season? What is it going to be? Is it going to be that Florida was almost there, you know, but really they kind of got lucky that Georgia didn't have a quarterback in that game. Uh, Florida's really not a whole lot better than it was. You know, they lost to one of the worst LSU teams in the last couple decades. And then they got embarrassed by Atlanta, you know, Alabama and Atlanta, or is Florida somehow going to find a way to at least make it respectable in Atlanta, make it a close game and give you the feeling that, Hey, this was a one-time hiccup. It's not, it's not a bigger issue than that. We, we fell asleep. We kind of broke down in all phases of the game, but Hey, we're still here to stay. That's, that's the kind of statement that Florida needs to put together in Atlanta. And you know, it's, it's tough to get behind that when you have, just the, the mental mistake. I mean, I go back to that Marco Wilson shoe throw. That's not necessarily, from, from my vantage point, that wasn't a one-time thing. I mean, Blake, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, how many times have we seen Marco Wilson make a play, you know, that wasn't really of great significance and stand over receiver, gloat over receiver, you know, this kind of thing. I understand it was heat of the moment. I'm not trying to put too much on the kid. But to me, I see signs that Florida just doesn't quite have that championship mindset yet. And that makes me feel pretty shaky going into Atlanta.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a DB thing. You always see those guys that, you know, they make a very small play and they do, you know, the, they throw their arms out like, you know, in completion, they do this, that, and the other. Um, so, I mean, that's not super out of character for DBs to do that, but it's definitely something that Marco has done over the course, course of his career. And I go back to just your point there. You don't see those kind of things at Bama. You don't see them at Georgia. You don't see them at Clemson. So, I mean, that's where Florida wants to be. And I think that those kind of things – you know, maybe they're not big in the big spectrum of things. Obviously, that penalty, that, that, that one thing was, a, was a, a pretty big factor in the game. You know, you give LSU life again on a third down when you stop them. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's just if you want to be those championship-type teams, you want to start playing those types of games, you can't make things like that happen. I mean, those are just bonehead plays that you just don't want to have happen. I'm sure Marco feels bad about it. I'm sure he would love to take it back. I mean, I, again, I, I don't want to sit there and put too much on the kid just like you said but it's just one of those things to where those things can't happen when you want to take that next step as a program.
1: Not only that, but I mean look, it's it's clear that Florida is not quite there yet from a talent standpoint. And so when you already have some issues that you have to overcome, you just cannot afford to self arm yourself. You know, you you cannot afford self-inflicted mistakes and we're going to find that out this weekend pretty quickly. I mean, Florida is not going to be able to survive those kind of mistakes and make it a respectable game against Alabama. So it's going to be a big challenge this week for, for Florida Blake. I think, you know, kind of picking up the pieces mentally, I, I don't – I would have a hard time doing it if I was on that team right now. I just think you – I got the sense from Florida that they really felt like things were going to come together sooner or later at some point and they were going to play a complete game and that when they played a complete game, they had the chance to beat anybody in the country. I think Saturday was a little bit of a wake-up call. It was a little bit of a dose of reality – that hey these things don't just magically get cleaned up like we have to go ahead and make these changes for ourselves and really buy in and and be mentally tough be mentally sharp enough to clean up all these little areas and on saturday florida wasn't you know will they be able to this saturday we're going to find out but you know even if they are you know florida is because of recruiting because of talent level because of you know some holes on the roster in different places florida is already up against an uphill climb going into this Alabama game. So you cannot allow anything outside of your, or anything that's within your control to fall apart. And, and obviously, you know, this game, right or wrong, you know, I don't think anybody expects Florida to beat Alabama, but right or wrong, this game will help set the direction going into the offseason. And it's a very important offseason. I mean, Dan Mullen is not going into year two or year three anymore. He's going to be going into year four. He's made some positive progress. Obviously, getting over the Georgia hump was big. But at a certain point, your, your ability to win championships starts to hinge on these momentum swings going into year, you know, year four, year five. And if you haven't won a championship by that point, margin for error gets really small. And, and unfortunately for Florida, that LSU loss takes away a little bit more of that cushion that Dan Mullen had, a little bit more of the patience within the fan base. And those things get harder to kind of go up against in recruiting.
2: Yeah, definitely. You never want to take a step back. You want to keep taking those step forwards. And this was a small step back for Florida.
1: All right, Blake, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back on the other side of the break, I want to get to the early signing period, which opens tomorrow. And will allow Florida to start kind of officially inking their commitments in the 2021 recruiting class right after this break.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show, but it's kind of a weird lead-in to the early signing period, you know, with the obviously the college football season being pushed back in terms of its start time. We're now in the middle of December. We're still playing games. A little bit unusual in that regard. And obviously now Florida's in the middle of preparing for an SEC championship game. And middle of the week, you're going to be worrying about faxes coming in, you know, trying to get national letters of intent signed. But I think, uh, I think we both kind of have looked at this, and this class has, like you said, been pretty full for a while now. Not really expecting a whole lot of drama in this early signing period, are we?
2: No, not really. You know, Florida has some targets that are going to be signing <clears throat> during the early signing period on Wednesday. Uh, guys like Xavier and Sori, Tunamiche out of L.A., uh, some committed guys that Florida still kick the tires on, like Keanu Cope, Rashard Smith. I don't, you know, I've already put crystal balls in for A uh, and M for uh, Tuna of La, and I put a uh, Georgia crystal ball in for Xavier Sory. I feel pretty good on those picks. Uh, Florida would have to fi- uh, flip Coat, um, who is committed to LSU, and Brashard Smith, who is committed to Miami. I lean towards both of those guys sticking. I do think that if uh, if Coat did flip somewhere, it does seem like Bama has a little bit of juice heading into signing day. Um, you know, Florida took a swing there. They've been talking to him for most of the year. At this point, I think if he does flip, I think it is Alabama. Brashard Smith, I think, is a little more interesting as far as Florida's continued to kick the tires on him. Uh, they're not going to sign uh, their commitments uh, this week, and Charles Montgomery and Trevante Rucker—they're they're looking like February guys. So Florida has is still looking at some slot receivers as well. So um, I think that there's some intrigue there. Um, but for the most part, I think target-wise, it should be a pretty silent, or I guess pretty pretty low key signing day. Florida has a lot of their guys in the, in the fold already. Uh, they'll have some of their commitments that'll be signing early. I have actually a list uh, on Swamp 24-7, a VIP front page story that has a lot of the signing times, guys that'll sign and enroll early, guys that'll sign and enroll in, in, in uh, excuse me, not September, um, in the summer. Um, and then I've even got some guys that are expected to sign in February. So there's still a lot of movement right now. I've actually moved a couple guys that uh, were expected to sign this week uh, from the commitment list that are now expected to sign in February. So there's still some movement there. There's still some things going on which is funny because I mean, signing day is literally tomorrow and there's still some movement on things, but, uh, you know, I'm keeping my thumb on everything. I'm doing my best to kind of keep everything up with times and, you know, guys signing this time and that time. One guy that I think a lot of Florida fans will be excited to hear that he has now decided to sign this week instead of signing in February is a top 100 defensive end Tyreek Stapp out of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, He was a guy that was actually thinking of signing in February, had been flirting with Alabama for the most part, um, wasn't able to take any visits this year. I think that recruitment would have been a lot more interesting had he been able to take visits this year because he was a guy that definitely seemed like he wanted to. Committed to Florida on Christmas Eve back in 2018. Um, you know, and it was just a guy that's committed and want to take visits still, and he wasn't able to. So Bama was definitely flirting with him a little bit there. Uh, so it's good for Florida. I expect him to sign with Florida on Wednesday. He should be signing around 3 p.m. tomorrow. So, um, like I said, there's still some movement with t- signing times and guys signing this day and, you know, that day, and you know, if they're in February. But I'm doing my best to keep everything, you know, kind of updated as I, as I get the info.
1: Like, what do you like most about this class, particularly the guys that look like they're going to be signing early?
2: Uh, you know, I really like what they're doing in the secondary. I think whenever you look at Florida, how they've struggled um, at safety this year with a lot of those upperclassmen guys, I think getting guys like Donovan McMillan um, you know, to sign early, I think he's a really um, interesting guy because I think he's got the frame that he could even play some linebacker or you know, kind of do some things in the box. Um, Jason Marshall, Corey Collier, some other defensive backs, Collier being a safety, Marshall being a cornerback. I think whenever you look at Florida, how they've struggled in the secondary in general. You look at some of those guys that, uh, you know, were part of that 2020 signing class where they took a pretty deep cornerback class. Not many of those guys are on the field, you know, I mean, a lot, and you've seen them play some younger guys. You've seen like Jaden Hill who obviously wasn't part of that class, but um, you know, he was uh, you're just not seeing a lot of those guys that were in the 2020 class, you know, really getting on the field as far as cornerbacks. So I think Jason Marshall being that five-star guy, getting him in there early to enroll, you know, if they have spring football, he'll be able to get his feet wet early. So um, I think it's, it's good for them to get a guy like that in. Um, you know, I really like the defensive line class that Florida has. I think they've missed on some guys, um, you know, some other targets that, you know, sure that they would have been great to get. But I think the fact that, you know, a guy like Justice Boone, a guy like Desmond Watson, Christopher Thomas. These are guys that are going to be there early and rolling. They're going to be there in the spring. That's going to get them a chance to, you know, really kind of get their feet wet as well in the spring. You look at how Florida is going to be really young next year, excuse me, on the defensive line. Those are guys you want to get in there because will they make an impact early? Hard to say because, you know, a lot of those guys like Javon Dexter, Jalen Lee, I mean, a lot of those guys are probably going to get the nod next year with just the fact that they were, getting, they were getting some playing time this year. I think Florida will look pretty hard at the portal. I think defensive line is an area where they can really use some experience there, and I think that's a good place to get it. But, um, you know, as far as the class in general, um, I really like what they've done um, on the defensive line, getting some of those guys. I think linebacker is another spot that's really useful for them. Uh, Jeremiah Williams, the four-star linebacker who was planning to sign this week, is now saying he'll sign in February. So I think there's some intrigue there. He's had some family, you know. I know his mom really likes Auburn. That's something that Florida has always kind of had to overcome throughout the recruiting process: is getting mom on board. Hasn't ever visited herself. Jeremiah has only visited Florida once in March, so he's now saying instead of signing uh, tomorrow, he'll sign in February. I think personally, I think some intrigue there is just the fact that Auburn has a coaching vacancy. With mom had been kind of kicking the tires still on Auburn, just you know keeping them in the conversation because again she wanted him close. I think that and this is just me, my own personal thought of kind of thinking out loud here. I think that she is being a little bit vocal of, you know, let's see what happens with Auburn with their new coach. Let's play yeah. things out. You know, I've never been there. You've only been there. You know, I think it's just slowing things down. So Florida would obviously love to have a guy like that. I mean, it's a top 100 linebacker. They would really love to sign there. But as far as other guys in the class, Dwan Black, Juco guy, was a big-time top 100 kid. He's the number one Ju- Juco player on 24-7 sports, uh, chief boarders. They're getting a lot of these guys on defense where areas that they needed help at, they're getting them in there early. So I think that makes it really good for them.
1: Is there any area of concern for you in this class or, or maybe even looking forward where you say, okay, in 2022, you know, we, we were a little short in 21. This is, this is an area we need to go after.
2: I think defensive end, as much as I really like Justice Boone, I think he's going to be a big time player for Florida. I really like what he's done um, as far as putting things on the field for his junior year and his senior year. You really want to see that jump from junior to senior. And I think you saw that from him. But as far as depth, just overall in that class, Tyreek Sapp is a good defensive end to get. He won't be there as an early enrollee, but if you sign him this week, like I said, that's another guy in there for the depth piece. And you keep him away from Alabama who continue to flirt with him. But I just think that whenever you look at Florida this year, Zachary Carter, we'll see if he comes back. If he does come back, that's obviously very helpful for Florida. Passed out, I mean, you've got Dante Lang. You've got Princely Um, I butchered that one, sorry. You just don't have that, that big depth in the defensive end position. I think Florida will need to continue to focus on that in 2022. It was a focus for them this year. They missed on some targets earlier in the process um, but I think overall they need to continue to you know kind of put that as into focus um, as far as that too I think offensive tackle, you know really that true offensive tackle you lose, lose a guy like Isaiah Walker uh, who was the freshman that signed with Florida um, and transferred to Miami. You've still got Tristan Lee on board. He visited this past weekend with his family. That's a five star offensive tackle. I just think when you look at Florida's class now, you just don't see any of those true offensive tackle type guys. Um, You know, you've got Javante Gardner, who will sign in February. You've got Diaby Hammond, who will sign in February. You've got Adrian Strickland, who will sign in February those guys just don't seem like instant impact type guys for me. And whenever you look at how Florida had a lot of these senior guys this year, you know, uh, John Delance, uh, stone Forsyth, you know, even if, uh, you know, a guy like Stuart Reese, who's more of a swing guy, but has played guard for this year, you just want to see Florida really continue to add like a, just a true offensive tackle, not a guy that can play some guard, can play some tackle. Um, you know, kind of like a guy like Yusuf Mugerbill, who's in the class now. He's another one of those swing guys. I think Florida could stand to get a true, you know, bona fide left tackle. You know, just kind of your guy that's, you know, got that, that frame and, and he can move really well. And I think that those are areas that Florida could do better at.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like Florida's signed a lot of true tackles in the last couple classes. You've Maybe. seen
2: a lot of guys that can play you know, a little bit of guard, a little bit of tackle. You, just, you haven't seen that, you know, like an Isaiah Walker type guy. Right.
1: Well, even, I mean, even a guy like Josh Brown, I think is a guy that we all agree can play tackle has played guard so far at Florida. So I know that John Hevesy likes those kind of maulers, but it is interesting that they, you know, maybe haven't done that. And then I I go back to, I'd like to see Florida start to recruit more traditional linebackers out of high school. I I do think there's something to be said for being a little bit too hybrid and, and having guys that come in and are really not only having to adjust to the college level, but having to adjust to playing a position that they maybe weren't familiar with in high school. So I, Those are things that we've talked about in the past that I'd like to see. Um, Blake, uh, anything else with recruiting or just uh, encouraging people to check out the site and visit the updates there?
2: Yeah, I mean, at this point, like I said, I don't know that it's going to be a big dramatic signing day. Um, You know, Florida having a lot of the guys in the fold, it doesn't really look like a lot of these targets right now at least just where I see it, I don't see any of those guys right now uh, pulling the trigger for Florida on signing day. So um, I think right at this point, it's just kind of keeping up with things. I'll keep my nose to the ground as we, you know, we continue to get there. There's still some recruiting going on, man. There's still phone calls going on. There's still pitches being made. So you know I'll, I'll make sure to keep everyone updated with the latest.
1: Sounds good. There you have it. Swamp 24-7, guys. The early signing period will open on Wednesday. It doesn't close until Friday afternoon or Friday evening. I'm not sure exactly which time. But, uh, you know, Florida will have a lot of guys signing in the 2021 class. Blake will have all the updates. And obviously, you know, with things being a little bit fluid with some guys waiting, uh, we'll have all the updates on that. One last thing before we close the show today, guys, uh, we just wanted to reiterate that our thoughts and prayers are certainly with Keontae Johnson and his family. Uh, It sounds like, you know, the latest update was that he's at least responding to some some, – I I forget the exact phrasing that they did, but responding to – Uh, some prompts it sounded like so uh, obviously a scary moment in Saturday's basketball game and uh, we'll continue to keep Tiante and his family in our prayers but for today that'll do it for this episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast thanks for listening